cleverly, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Levity, levity, donks. It is Friday, March 5th, 2021. This is Morning Combat. I'm your boy, BC, the big beige one, the Brian Campbell of CBS Sports, coming to you live and direct. I'm on the fifth and final day of my uh, little soiree to the island of Puerto Rico, but the man next to me in the uh, the 90s-esque lumberjack borderline Helwani shirt is my best friend in this space. He's big, he's brawn, and you saw him celebrate Poirier's knockout of McGregor on the MK documentary 2.0 like he was a prime Robbie Barstool. Yes! I'm talking about Luke Thomas of CBS Sports. Luke, how are you, friend? Good, although I was less celebrating Poirier, more just celebrating chaos, bro. You know as well as I do when there's a surprising result in MMA, particularly when there's big stakes... You just when the, when the when the world gets turned upside down, oh, that's good for that's good for our business. That's good for this business. So I don't have anything against Connor, but I had plenty. No, of I mean, good, uh, good you, response about the moment. Yeah, and you were rock hard with emotion. You had a phoner. People enjoyed your uh, your joy, and I think that's what it goes back to. We love this game. Some people thought maybe I lost a ton of money on McGregor. That's why I was solemn. No, I was in work mode. People back the hell off. But let's reset here. Got a great show for you today. Orange background Friday. BC at the controls. It's a, a no J Friday. In fact, if you've seen the documentary, you might have surmised it's no J all day, never again, and the near future every day here on MK. But uh, we have got to set the stage for you. Go in deep on UFC 259, a loaded pay-per-view card this Saturday. Three title fights atop the marquee. You know what you're getting here. We're going to break that down, do a little dead wrong. But obviously, Luke, we do want to get a quick reaction here. Uh, shout out to our documentarian, Less Than Jake, the fine folks at Malka for putting together uh, MK Documentary 2.0, The Redemption. It's live on YouTube if you haven't checked it checked it out yet. Luke, um, you played a small but powerful role in this. I know you weren't into it. You're probably never going to watch it again after that one watch, but what is your thoughts on on the launch and the reaction to this artwork? Yeah, it's a lot of attention for a video that did less than half of my uh, views for my live chat, but I will say it was, <laughs> as I put a dig in there, in all seriousness, uh, it was extremely well made. And you're right, I won't watch it again for a variety of reasons, but it was, uh, Jake put in, I know, a ton of effort, a metric ton of effort. And as somebody who does what he does at the lowest possible amateurish level, gathering footage, editing it, obviously he does it at a professional level. I'm just saying I have some sympathy because I know sifting through all of those details and then putting it together and everything... It was a it was craftsmanship that was put into it. So I'm glad that people like it. I'm glad it's something that MK can offer, and um, I hope we never shoot another one. <laughs> well, I, I can't wait till we do shoot another one, Luke. No, I love no, no. I can, actually, I no, no, I pull, I pull that back, BC. When you come to DC, that's BC and DC is going to be. Wow. Wow. That's going to be the one. That's going to be That's, the one. That is going to be some legitimate theater right there. But we do appreciate everybody who uh, reached out after watching it. And uh, thank you. I don't care about the numbers. It was art. It's an inside look at the inside of how the MK sausage was made. Speaking of MK, uh, please like this video. Please subscribe. You're not only getting three live shows per week. 
reactions post pay-per-view get luke's on saturday night right after ufc 259 goes off the air we're also hitting you just about every day with bonus clips luke's live chat on thursday interviews with the top names across both combat sports so please subscribe to what we do here uh we also want you to check out our brethren at showtime and showtime.com offering right now a 30-day free trial and an extended bonus for new subscribers six months at 4.99 a month why should you get on board now? Not just great documentaries, movies, Showtime Championship Boxing. How about the addition of Bellator MMA exclusive to Showtime? April 2nd is the kickoff, and we are in the midst of closing out the Featherweight World Grand Prix and kicking off a must-see light heavyweight 205-pound tournament. You're only going to see Romero and uh, Rumble on Showtime, so get on board with that. Uh, we'd also like to decorate you in our MK merch, so great uh Great opportunity ahead of whatever holiday you're about to celebrate to get your abuela decked out in our stuff. Go to store.show.com. You can see Luke's Tumblr right there. And uh, pretty soon when we get the MK boxers and ball condoms out, I will be wearing more of this. But you can get the original season one of the merch right now on store.show.com. But as we've teased, we are a mere, I don't know, Luke, couple weeks away potentially from the launch of the new merch. It's a little bit more meta. It's a little bit more joke heavy. But uh, you can get it in all 50 states and beyond, and it's coming. It's That's the key. Shipping will be, I don't think, any kind of an issue no matter where you live. So a little bit more patience. Everyone's been asking. We're very close to the finish line on this. Luke, final note before we get into the, the real topics at hand. Uh, people wanted to know what happened with Jay, and we gave him a little bit of a look there. Were you, was that inadequate enough? Can we, are we done now? I mean, is, do people need more? People want to see the footage that we didn't show? I mean, what's going on here? Um, I, um, I prefer to leave it out how it is. I prefer to leave it how it is. All right. Do you wish Pennington James the best or? (laughs) He's going to need it. Uh, (laughs) He's going to need it. He's going to need it. All right. Well, the business is uh, wrapped up there. Let's get into the meat of this show. Let's kick it off with an in-depth preview. Saturday's absolutely loaded UFC 259 card, the Apex in Las Vegas. I've said it before, you could put this card on par uh, with what, UFC 217, uh, any of the big time MSG, New Year's Eve cards, uh, summer extravaganza, this is a big one right here. And topping the bill, of course, the light heavyweight title at stake, new champion Jan Blahowitz, the 38-year-old underdog story. He's in the prime position now, but he will be a betting underdog on Saturday when middleweight king Israel Adesanya moves up to challenge him. Luke, we've been up and down the storylines for this fight. Now it's Friday. Now it's time to break it down. I have an overwhelming feeling that we are about to see a hot knife through butter situation, that we are about to see the quicker, more accurate, faint heavy, just sublimely accurate Adesanya carve through a stronger but bigger and slower fighter. Is that filthy casual view into how I see this fight anything close to what you got heading in? Um, yeah, so I, you know, it's funny, man. Like I went back and I looked through his record the last few days, this being Jan Blahovich, to see like how he's developed and he's a, he's a weird guy, you know. Like if I had to ask you, you know, what are some of his signature weapons, you'd probably pick a few of them. You know, he's got a heavy punch, he has some decent hooks, uh, he's got a good left kick to the body. You saw that against Reyes, but like in general, you know, he doesn't have his game is not as memorable. You know, it for some reason it doesn't stick out that way. And what's kind of interesting, I was I was looking at this the other day. 
He didn't. Okay, so his first fight in the UFC, he TKO'd Alir Latifi. He didn't get another TKO or like a stoppage via strikes until he fought Luke Rockhold in 2019. He had some submission wins. He submitted Devin Clark and he submitted Nikita Krilov. Obviously, shows you some well rounded ability, but just on the feet, for example, like he didn't get another one until, you know, so that was five years apart. A long time. Um, and then since then, he's had three in his last four. You know, it's just crazy to watch this guy's evolution. I tend to think some of the things I picked up on is when he's very, very patient. Very patient. He doesn't really overextend anymore. He doesn't. The Tiago Santos fight, notwithstanding, that was a bad example. But, you know, since then, let's say he's been really good about biding his time, waiting for his moment. And in the case of like Reyes and to an extent Anderson as well, even Luke Rockhold, too. I mean, all of the ones he won, but especially in Reyes's case, what that patience tends to produce is somebody who wants to then force the action a little bit. And it tends, to, it seems to me that he likes to wait for that. He likes to wait for someone to get a little bit, you know, anxious, a little bit bored with the way the fight is going, and then really move in on some kind of way. Because when they do, they all make mistakes, whether it's the clinch break with Luke Rockhold where he got KO'd, whether it's Reyes standing right in punching range, trying to uh, score on a guy and just setting yourself up for disaster because you're trying to force the action or Corey Anderson going back to the well with those outside leg kicks and then leaning off to the side and then getting caught as a consequence but what really makes the like what would you say about Adesanya you could probably name some of his weapons the question mark kick that he's got that kind of a thing some of the hooks he has when he leans but more to the point BC he doesn't make a lot of mistakes Trevor Whitman talks about this all the time what separates the really elite ones from the very very good ones in general, in terms of like what they can do when they're on, there's not a whole lot of difference sometimes. But the big difference over time is that the truly elite ones, man, they don't really make mistakes. You could find a couple of times where, you know, St. Pierre, let's say, got head kicked by Carlos Condit or whatever. But in general, dude, St. Pierre always made really good decisions. Well, that's what Israel Adesanya does. So certainly I would never look past a guy who's got three, you know, KO or TKO wins in his last four fights it's the best form he's ever had by far at the same time he fought opponents who are just not operators on the same kind of way that israel adesanya i believe to be well he's peaking jan blowitz to his credit again he just turned 38 and he's just now finding out how to be super elite and yes he won a vacant title after john jones vac you know gave it up so there's the potential here that Blahowitz could go down as really just a transitional champion, you know, no disrespect to him, but I don't want to underscore completely what he did against Dom Reyes in a fight that I think on paper a lot of us thought he's just going to get outskilled, you know, even if it goes the distance, you're just going to see Reyes just be too savvy for him. To Blahovich's credit, I mean, that, that kick to the body, which is obviously something Adesanya has to look out for. He's talked about it this week ahead of the fight. That could be a game changer. And let's not forget that Jan Luke does have that sneaky lead right uppercut, which he throws from such an awkward inside angle that he's caught a few guys with this as sort of a special punch. My problem here, Luke, is that I just think the speed difference is going to be monumental. You mix that with Adesanya's accuracy and those feints. The feints, I think, are going to lead Jan, who doesn't is not reckless, 
doesn't typically overextend, right? There, let's let's remind ourselves that there's potential here that this is slow for a while because Adesanya is not gonna he's gonna take the risk of taking the fight. But as we saw against Romero and it's Anderson Silva fight at times, he really stayed within a certain strike zone. But when he does get Blahowitz to overextend with some feints. The speed and accuracy are going to be there, Luke. It's going to come down to, I think, whether he can catch Jan flush enough to finish him. Obviously, we know what a win here and a dominant win could mean to the future of uh, for Adesanya and all the greatness he can accomplish above this weight class even. But he has to prove first on Saturday, meaning Adesanya, that he can handle the physicality, that he can potentially handle the power. I just don't know, Luke. Outside of Jan getting uh, Israel trapped in a clinch and, and working, you know, uh, Muay Thai against the cage, I don't see scenarios where he's going to be able to use his strength and his bulk as an advantage. I think Adesanya is well too savvy and quick for that. Yeah, probably. I think speed's going to be a big one. I, I do wonder if he might, uh, Blahovich, try and take us to the ground where that could play a role if he's able to lean on Adesanya for a time. To your point, that's not something he's. Usually when he's against the fence, BC, he's fighting off the takedown or he's fighting off someone initiating the clinch in close range and then he actually does quite well with it. Um, I don't know that Adesanya, I mean, he might play with ranges, of course, but to your point, speed's going to be a big thing. Not much of a reach advantage for Adesanya, only two inches. That's the least he's enjoyed since his debut. Now, Wilkinson had 80, but since then, the closest has been 77 with Brunson and Silva. The smallest, I think, was Costa, 71, 72, something like that. Um, or maybe even Gastelum was, was one of the, uh, the smaller ones. So, um, you know, the range by itself is uh, going to be an interesting thing to, to watch here. But uh, yes, I agree generally. The thing I'd be looking for is, to the extent it stays on the feet, very much Adesanya's fight to lose, it feels like. To the extent that we have been consistently underrating Blahovich and he does have well-rounded finishing ability on the floor, certainly something to pay attention to. This is a guy who we have all overlooked, me guilty as charged. Um, you know, I, do, I tend to think Adesanya is a really special talent, but I tend to think Blahovich deserves a lot more credit than even people like you and me have been giving him for a very long time. Well, let me double down and give him that credit, and then let me take it back. I got hot knife through Buddy here. I got Adesanya big. We'll see how it plays out. Luke Glover Teixeira, named by Dana White as sort of the on-deck circle backup being brought in just in case. So something to watch for. Have they have they stepped on the scales yet, Luke? I'm still on island time. I don't know. No, so that will start in about 45 minutes. All right, we will keep you posted if anything wackadoo happens there. Luke, any other thoughts on this main event before we transition? I really love it. I love the story. We, talk, we talked about the story a million times about a guy who, in Adesanya, undefeated, looking to be champ champ versus a guy who, like, they're coming to this position in totally different modes. You know, Adesanya has been in the organization three years, already won a title, looking for a second, never been defeated, shot out of a cannon versus a guy like Blahovich who had to take every wrong step before he figured out how to take the right ones. But he did it. He got himself to this point. In many ways, you know, your your underdog, not just by betting odds, but you know, in sort of like a real narrative standpoint, your underdog is is Blahovich here. If he wins, he only gets one title. He doesn't get another one. But uh, some of the opportunities he gets if he wins to beat a big name like this, or for Adesanya to to. I mean, I, we all feel bad for Glover. I guess is what I'm trying to say. We wish that there was a more equitable and quickly fixed situation. I don't. I don't. I don't proclaim this to be. Um, the you know the fairest matchmaking, but you can't lie and say it's not good matchmaking. You can't lie no, and, and say there's it, not a lot to enjoy there. 
And, you know, anyone could also say, I don't know if Itty, Izzy would have been this bold to move up right now if it was Dom Reyes or Thiago Santos holding the belt. You know, it is, does Jan look like an easier mark for his style? I think that can be true, and you can still give Izzy the full respect for being opportunistic and going after it. So we're going to find out. Uh, Luke, real quick, do you think Jan could compete at heavyweight? Yeah. Yeah, I think he could. I don't know that that's his best weight class. But I think he could compete there. Sure, I think a lot of those light heavyweights probably could. Uh, but the, the thing is, you know, they might feel like their ceiling is higher at 205 versus their ceiling. You know, because I, I can beat, you know, all the heavyweights except for one or two guys. But they might feel like they can beat all the light heavyweights. So that's what forces them down a weight class. And if you want more on uh, Israel Adesanya's remarkable three-year rise to where he is now, check out what we did, a little bonus content this week, Luke and I going ring resume. What are we calling that, Luke? What, what the hell is that Re thing uh, Resume review. Resume review. Resume review of Adesanya. Luke, some people saying, hey, guys, great clip. No talk about gynomastia in it. Do you want to address that, Luke? Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't know what the issue is. Uh, there's any number of things that could cause it. He has talked about it, thinking and, and sur surmising that it could be uh, from marijuana use or stress or something else. It is possible. Certainly, you cannot rule that out. Obviously, another explanation could be performance-enhancing drugs. He's been asked about it. He denied it. Certainly, he's had no USADA issues that I'm aware of. Um, so I have no idea. I have no idea what it could be. I tend to think that if he's complying by the rules that the organization has set out unilaterally, you can think whatever you want. I, that's certainly a, 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 a moment you are allowed to have. But as long as he's in compliance, I basically don't care. Thank you, Luke, for keeping us abreast of the situation. Involved. You waited for that one, didn't you? You fuck. <laughs> hey, Luke, real quick. I, I, I could bring up the, the, the documentary all day, but I don't want to forget to do this. Uh, there are some folks saying the MVP of our doc, Luke, that song at the end. And I wanted to shout out a guy who, who didn't get uh, the recognition necessarily in that, that he should have in that movie. Luke, that song, the cover of the, uh, what is that, uh, Ricky Martin? Is that what that is? I don't Hero? know. Hero? I don't I know. Don't know. I don't, we don't listen to popular music. I will say that was an MK fan submission that was so good that we held it and added it into the doc. It's a fellow by the name of Damien from Australia on Instagram. He's Damo underscore Ohana. Wanted to shout that guy out. Uh, Luke, that was timeless, class, classless work he put out there. Yes, it was very good. Wow, look, uh, just look, 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 come on. I know you're hosting BC. I know it's your rules today, but do we have to talk about this bullshit? Can we get into the fight card? Yeah, Luke, we can, okay? You absolute J-hole. Uh, Co-main event time. It is your women's featherweight champion and greatest to ever do it. Amanda Nunes back for just the second time in the last 15 months or so post-birth of a first child along with Nina Ansaroff. She's getting not a blown-up bantamweight, Luke, a full-size feather, six-foot-tall Megan Anderson. The betting odds are astronomical, Luke. Is this, though, the right time, as we tease during this week, if there's ever a right time to fight Amanda Nunes? Nobody's given Anderson credit. She's got some sneaky good elements to her game that Nunes hasn't seen. Is any of that going to matter when it all happens on Saturday? I think it could. Listen... Am I going to go out here on a limb and say I have reason to think unequivocally that Megan Anderson either will win or should be favored? That's not to say that there aren't those things, but I don't know what they are. I'm just being candid. I don't know what you could point to in their resumes 
and the way in which they match up and, and make a very strong, compelling argument for Megan Anderson to win. However, let me, let, me, let me undercut that as well, BC. We did this mostly for fun, but I kind of meant it. I figured when we were asked to do our biggest, our boldest predictions for 2021, the reality is no one knows shit, but you can have a little fun with it. Again, I don't know if this is true, but something that I've got my eye on is Amanda Nunes potentially losing this year. Now, that might sound very strange to you and to the viewers because we're talking about the most, like when Amanda Nunes is on, the only way for her to lose would be like to break a leg. <laughs> Or to get dengue fever or something. Like, if she's in good shape and she's well-trained, she's going to beat everyone. But, dude, I have seen it over and over and over and over again. You get these elite fighters, and it doesn't take a lot to sometimes derail them, uh, except the passage of time. Eventually, they show up, and they just weren't on that day. Eventually, they show up. And, you know, maybe they didn't have the best camp. They kind of took it a little light because they're so experienced at this point that how much could we really add as long as we're getting in reasonable shape and blah, 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 blah. Starting to cut corners. You add in the fact that she's got basically nothing to prove, uh, Amanda Nunes, that uh, you got a person like Megan Anderson, she has everything to prove. And more to the point, she just had a kid. Now, I don't know what that will do to her. I don't know if that's going to raise her game or lower it or keep it just the same. All I'm pointing out, BC, is this. I'm not making a case for Megan Anderson. But I am making a case that if you do what Amanda Nunes has done long enough, the train comes to a stop. And very often, BC, it comes when we least expect it. Yeah. It comes when that you're was- like, oh, not, not that person. Dude, Megan Anderson's in there to win. She's being paid to win. I don't think she'll win. But I w- honestly, after all she's been through by Amanda Nunes, I wouldn't be surprised. Well, it's funny you say, no, not not that person. That's why those upsets happen, because no one's looking at that that person with too much of a, you know respect, betting odds-wise, or looking them as perceived danger. When, look, at the very least, Anderson's got legit size. She's tough. She does hit hard, Luke. I know she bounced back following that loss to Felicia Spencer with back-to-back wins that weren't against world-beating competition, because, to be honest, the women's featherweight division doesn't have world-beating or really any competition let me remind you luke we're now four years into this experiment if you go to ufc.com slash rankings there's still not any 145 female rankings four years later okay so it is what it is yet anderson has shown look a, a a pop she finished her last fight by one punch knockout she's got some elements there and i think luke getting a chance to talk to her this week on morning combat like i did Seeing the the inside of her story a little bit more, it was touching. You know, I mean, look, everybody's got a wild backstory to get to this point. But, you know, I did a little more research even beyond chatting with her and found out things I hadn't realized that she's just starting to share now. Uh, You know, how she's struggled with depression for years, had been on the verge of wanting to take her life, and really just this full-on immersion immersion into this game, moving from Australia to Kansas City in the James Krause camp and just, you know, going up and down, lots of tears and living it. She's gotten to this point through an incredible amount of hard work. And, and I mean, again, if somebody's going to do it, it's going to be when you least expect it. And at least Anderson has some plus level abilities to make it plausible. But what we're going to need is for Mandy, Luke, to not have the eye of the tiger anymore. And yeah, you can point to the fact that she did bring up retirement last year. There were multiple times where she's like, I'm not really sure how much longer I'm going to do that. Um, I don't like Anderson's chances if this fight goes to the ground, Luke. I almost think I need Amanda to make a mistake that Anderson can capitalize on. And you're saying well earlier the greats 
don't tend to make mistakes. Amanda Nunes, one of them. But there's going to need to be some type of break, some type of opening there. Because, Luke, if this goes to the ground, this can be ground and pound city. I mean, Nunes is a monster there. Well, I mean, she got outgrappled by Holly Holm. If you're going to get outgrappled by Holly Holm, you're going to have a really bad time against Amanda Nunes. But more than that, if it's on the feet, again, I'm not going to make a case for Megan Anderson. I make a case for just what I'm going to call epistemic humility about MMA and how frequent upsets are at very unusual and unpredictable intervals. But, dude, on the feet, listen to some of these numbers. So strikes landed per minute for Megan Anderson is just 1.82. That is not a lot. Now, yes, she had the one fight against um, uh, Kat Zingano that went not a long time because the toe got in the eye. But her strikes absorb per minute are almost three. You know, she has almost two to one absorbing as a negative deferential over landing, and her striking defense is at 38%. She's very hittable. And that shows up on the tape, and it shows up on the numbers as well. You know, if you're hittable against a person like Amanda Nunes... Uh, that's yes. bad. That's bad. Right, so maybe she's tightened that up. We'll see. But that's uh, it's been an existing liability. So look, we did chat with Megan Anderson this week, and we do want to throw you a little bit of sound. You can check this out on YouTube. Let's hear her thought process entering into this fight. Uh, the reason why the odds are so large, obviously, because of everything that Amanda accomplished, and you certainly tip the cap to her, two division champion, recognized as the goat. When it's uh, a fight that's also the biggest fight of your life, but you're going up against somebody like Nunes who is so dominant, how do you remind yourself that she's just another human and this is just another fight? Is that possible? Yeah, um, I feel like a lot of people um, have a tendency to fight the name and not the person. Um, they fight the accolades, which uh, it's, you know, it's easy to do, but at the end of the day, it's just two people locked in a cage. Um, those accolades don't come with her. Um, so I don't know. I just, you just have to tune it out. Uh, if she's not going to be able to hurt the goat, you know, with, with, a, with a, using that jab to, to own the space and set her up and line her up with a big right hand. Well, you know, it's going to be hard to get over that hump, but it's in play. We'll see, Luke. You got that's why you fight him. That's why you you got. She you does have she fight. does have a three inch reach advantage. So if she can leverage that, we'll see. We're going to find out. All right, let's get to the real one, Luke. One of the best bits of matchmaking available in the UFC. A third title fight on Saturday's card for the bantamweight crown. This overwhelmingly full division of guys on the rise who are about to make it, guys on the way out who still have name value. The best part about this fight, Luke, is we're getting. Uh, best versus best from the standpoint of who has next. Piotr Jan, fresh off winning uh, the vacant title last year by stopping Jose Aldo, making his first title defense against a red-hot, emblazoned, fired-up Al Jermaine Sterling. Luke, you and I love us some Corey Sanhagen. Sterling wrapped him up and submitted him in about a minute and a half. So that tells you his pedigree coming in. The odds have been a pick em all week with, I think, Jan just once again becoming a betting favorite, slightly, rightfully so. Luke, the best question I can ask you is, everyone knows this has potential to be a five-round thriller. What will be the difference, though, in their skill sets that could lead one to raising his hand on Saturday? I think it's going to be the takedown ability of Aljamain Sterling and whether or not that shows up because it's not true that if he doesn't get the takedown, he can't win. But I think if he is strictly reliant upon striking, 
that makes it a much tougher way to win, which you could win that as well. I mean, one of the things Algerman Sterling is really good at with a 71-inch reach compared to Peter Jan's 67 is sticking and moving. He's got a long jab, long kicks. He's got fast feet. He stays at the end of his strikes, something he did not used to do it quite as well. He's gotten much better about it. Again, look at his numbers. Strikes landed per minute, 4.82. Strikes absorbed per minute, just 1.94 for Algerman Sterling. So he's got a really good positive differential there um so but so so my thought is if you need to stick and move on the outside against peter yon you can do that the thing is can you do that for 25 minutes if the takedown is not credibly there that's the part where i have a little bit of uh a hard a hard time understanding see to me if aljamain sterling has two ways to win sort of but one is much more probable than the other if he can get it to the ground then i think he'll have his way but if he can't get it to the ground can uh I'll say if he can get to the ground just enough, then he can mix the two portions of his game together. He can frustrate at range, and then when they get close, he can go for the takedown, and he can, if he can do it enough, um, control from there, or win rounds, or whatever the case may be. If you shut down one part of it, it's not like he's Frankie Edgar, where the wrestling sets up the striking. To me, it's two different forms of the game that don't blend quite as seamlessly. But I don't know that he can win with the ace and the hole being taken away. While as good as his striking may be, it's a little bit more, you know, you're kind of relying upon the judges to do a little bit of the work for you there. Whereas Peter Yan, very damage intensive to that point, BC, he absorbs 3.25 strikes per second, or excuse me, per minute, which is a lot, but he dishes out 6.3. That is high, very, very high. You know, so I, 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 he, really... I don't think he would mind getting tuned up at range a little bit, BC, if yeah. it meant over time he'd start landing the more damaging shots. I think that's what I'm looking for. You know, you, you laid out the key part of that. If Sterling uh, cannot get him down consistently, I still think it's a competitive fight. I still think there's a lot of Woodley Thompson one potential from the standpoint that this could be some ebbs and flows of control in either fighter's direction. But Luke, there's something about Jan. He seems to get better as the fights go deeper into there. He seems to step up his intensity, his volume. As your point, he does look to seemingly finish you with every strike. If it's going to come down to five full rounds, which is very possible, given the gas tanks between the two, given how you know well their, their styles contrast against one another, uh, I'm just going to probably like Jan's ability to land damage in the judge's eyes in the end. I just haven't seen enough, Luke, as much as Sterling and others can say, you know, you're finally fighting a guy your own age. You're not chasing the, the Aldos anymore. Um, I, I can't see a hole. And Piotr Jan's game, despite his first name and my inability to consistently pronounce it, Luke. And John Dodson got him down twice, it should be noted. But that fight was a fairly-ish long time ago. Um, this was actually the Blahovich-Santos fight, uh, card anyway. And the control time that he had for two takedowns was just 37 seconds total. In other words, he didn't really keep him down very long at all, right? So you might get him down but you didn't really do a whole lot with it. If that's the situation Aljamain Sterling is facing where he can't get prolonged use out of the grappling, uh, becomes a little bit harder to win, I think. I think that tension is the central tension of this fight. But obviously we did not expect Sterling to finish Sanhagen as quick as he did. He is a live one in this for sure. Luke, I love his evolution. You remember those split decision losses he had at, at a point that, that kind of slowed down his initial rise as a bright prospect and he's really rebounded in such impressive ways luke had him on the show here on morning combat a little more than a week ago let's throw to a little bit of sound right now about that evolution for aljo 
How different and in what ways do you think you are now from that fighter who lost to Caraway and Asuncion in such close disputed win, uh, losses? Excuse me. Very different. Uh, I think the, the guy that I am now doesn't give a shit about what other people think about his fight style and um, he does what he has to do to win. So I think that's the big difference and that has helped me understand who I am as a fighter, not letting other people's thoughts and media write-ups dictate um, how I want to approach a fight. You know, I don't have nothing to prove. At the end of the day, the name of the game is to go out there and get your hand raised. Win at all costs. Look, I'm just happy he got the fight. Remember when we were speculating if another celebrity would slide in and take it from him? I'm just glad he got here. Uh, you know, hats off to Sterling if he can keep proving us wrong. Believe me. It would be just desserts. Not that we have anything against Peter Yan, but it would be just desserts. Certainly, if Aljamain Sterling ends up winning after the UFC kind of hemmed and hawed about whether or not they would award it to him. And by the way, it should be noted, you know, in his last four fights, um, Sterling has two finishes. He has the sub over Cody Stamen and then the sub in the last one against Corey Santag and the two decisions against Pedro Munoz and Jimmy Rivera. Two guys, as we know, generally speaking, pretty hard to put away. So those are four impressive wins, two especially so. Doesn't have a KO or TKO win since he fought Hugo Viana in 2014 this will be his what 15th or 16th ufc fight but he has turned into aljamain sterling a very very impressive guy you know one of the things that ends up happening when you come to the ufc as early as he did and you kind of make your you grow here uh you you tend to get an impression of somebody early and then that sticks with you and then something has to happen in kind of a revolutionary way for you to update your perception of him how you define him how you per or, or her how you perceive them and uh i feel like that cody sanhagen or excuse me Corey sanhagen one did a pretty good job of that but i would say the two wins before that did as well all i'm pointing out here is i think there are some people who still have an impression of aljamain sterling like he can't get the takedown he's ben askren all of a sudden no 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 he has evolved way beyond that and uh is very much a live dog in this fight He's also hard not to cheer for, Luke. Good, good dude. Uh, you know, love the, the fighter he's become. So we'll find out. Uh, I'm back in Jan, but it is close, Luke. Um, wow, wow. Hang with me here. 259 loaded, as mentioned, Luke. I'm about to show you the insides of my bathroom here by accident, Luke. Um, what else are you looking for? What, what is the other fight outside these three title fights that has you the most jazzed? Oh, boy, that is a good question. The other one outside of those three, um, there's a lot to choose from. I'm going to go, I know some folks might say Makachev and Dobert, great call. I'm going to go with Santos and Rakic, and for both reasons, which is to, to say, Tiago Santos, you know, didn't look super awesome in his return against Glover Teixeira. He had moments. He had moments where he looked pretty good, but in general, couldn't quite put it all together. And as we know, Glover Teixeira really having a second career here as a light heavyweight elite contender. So no harm, no foul. It's not like the worst thing in the world. Plus, he'd been off a long layoff. He'd had a lot of knee surgery, uh, I think, on both knees. But the question now is, okay, you got the cobwebs knocked loose a little bit, uh, and you're still in a process of getting back to where you were. How long is that going to take, and is it actually possible? Can you fully get back to the dominant force you were prior to that injury. That is a hard thing to do generally. It's a hard thing to do specifically against Alexander Rakic, who in my view is, uh, I don't know, you know, whether he'll win or not, he's got Tiago Santos in front of him. I mean, good luck fighting that fucking beast. But what I mean to say is <laughs> he has shown 
really good fight IQ. He can mix up his game. He can wrestle if he needs to. He can strike if he needs to. He's got big finishes on the feet. He's big for the weight class. He's athletic and strong. There's a lot of and young. There's a lot of reasons to think that he is very much the future of this division and that the window that Santos had has passed. Or or that while Rakic does have a positive future, Santos did knock the cobwebs loose against Glover Teixeira and now is back to form and is ready to reassert himself in this division. That's what this fight is going to tell us. I really, really love those stakes. Oh, I love, and I love the, the scenario of the ladder that you mentioned. I, I think Tiago, even at 37, Luke, even with the closing window, and we have to give him a little bit more respect than maybe we did for coming back from the serious knee surgeries after kind of beating Jones in a lot of people's eyes. And I know he did lose to Glover, but saved face to a certain degree with his performance and, and just bouncing back. Uh, Luke, I don't think he, he's too good in my eyes to lose three in a row in this spot when it seems like it's his time to make a run at the belt. He came as close as he could against Jones. Jones left the division. We don't even know if Adesanya win or lose is going to hang around here. Like, I still think this is potentially Tiago Santos's division to own and take hold of his own, Luke. He's got a hell of a test here with Rackage, though. He's going to have to knock him out. To, to win this, I think. Look, I think this is going to be explosive. I think you're going to see a lot of, uh, certainly not desperation, but a lot of Tiago Santos understanding what's really at stake here and going for it, Luke. And that's a scary mofo, as you mentioned, when he decides to go for it. Uh, he's a, a guy that maybe I didn't give the full respect to, both from understanding how good he could be and really just given a care about him as a fighter, Luke, until I really saw what he did against Jones. And it's not that I didn't see him knock out Blahowitz and, and have that, but I go back now as I'm just butchering my set here. Luke, I go back now on Fight Pass and I rewatch the, the Mejeta run in order. This guy's nasty and he got a lot better in the last few years. Uh, he got to win this one to prove it to us, Luke, but I think you're going to see him at a title shot sooner than later. You're going to see him there. We're going to find out. We're going to see if you can get into a situation where your camera isn't being thrown all over the room. Well, you know, when Jay Aaron gives you a mic cord, Luke, that's this long, extending from the camera to your uh, lapel, it's this long, Luke. <laughs> it's, you know, it's great. Thanks, Jay. I know you don't work here anywhere, but thank you. Thank you, Jay. All right, Luke, uh, plenty more on that undercard. We hit a couple of those storylines earlier this week, Luke. You know I love that flyweight bout Benavidez. Askar Askarov could definitely be putting Askarov into a title shot with a win. Those odds makers really like this one, though, having Benavidez as a slightest dog, like plus 100. Um, I think it's wider in my eyes, Luke. What am I missing? I know Joe's history, but I feel like he's 36 going in the wrong direction now, where Askarov's a beast. Yeah, he's just trying, as he says, I'm just here to fight dudes now. He's not worried about title implications or anything else. And to your point, Askarov is probably the opposite. He's there to very much look for a title shot. We obviously know Brandon Moreno is going to run it back with uh, um, Figueredo. So the winner of this potentially could get a title shot if it is Askarov. Right? In other words, if Benavidez wins, they still probably won't give it to him because... Why would you, unless maybe Moreno wins? In that case, it's a fresh matchup. I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do, but it, it stands to reason that Askarov is a little bit more in the catbird seat uh, in terms of what the future might mean and can scramble and can you know do a lot of other things. Joe B really serving a function at Flyweight now as being kind of this guy who can sort the really special ones from the ones who are not. Um, it's, it's, a, it's actually a decent thing to have if you're a matchmaker. It gives you a measuring stick 
that en enables you to, to make some calls. At flyweight, you don't need those as much as you do in other ones, but still, it's a pretty valuable thing to have. And real quick on that prelim main event, we talked about Dominic Cruz a bit on Wednesday show, but he's going up against Casey Kenny, who has an opportunity to get a big scalp on his resume. Megan Anderson, uh, notwithstanding in this conversation, Luke, just about the fighter, Casey Kenny. Uh, do we sleep on him at all when we talk yeah. about this Bantamweight future? I know O'Malley has fallen off for a bit, but, you know, Garbrandt's still on. There's so many names you can talk about. We don't talk enough about Kenny, it seems like. Yeah, I mean, don't look now, but Casey Kenny is barely... But our our sports our odds makers over at William Hill have him as a favorite. They have him as a favorite over Dominic Cruz. The guy can wrestle. He can scramble. He's got excellent cardio. Um, his striking is actually not so bad. It's pretty useful. The question is, as it always is with Dom, is are you a slave to his you know um, uh, game or are you the one who just sees right past it like Henry Cejudo or something like that? That's really what this is going to tell us. But you know. The one thing that gives Dominic, I think, some, not the one thing, but one among many things that gives him some hope is that um, Kenny is still primarily grappling-based, I feel like, or at least I would say he does his best work in that space, and Cruz has proven to be quite good there over the years and still is, especially at scrambling. So that might make this a very, honestly, what you, what you might get, BC, is you might get that with a lot of fights, dude. There's a, like, for example, Blahovich Adesanya and Jan Sterling, and then this one, seems like one way or the other, Nunez versus Anderson's going to be an emphatic finish, whatever direction you want to go. But, dude, a lot of these, they, they're going to be tooth and nail. Tooth and nail. Benavidez Askarov, that might be tooth and nail. Rakic versus Santos, that might be tooth and nail, depending on how. These are a lot of really close competitive fights, and the one we're talking about now is, is in Kenny and Cruz is maybe chief among them. I mean, look how many of these fights are in the 100s, B.C., um, yeah, for it, both it, both it, fighters, either plus or minus 100, Rakic Santos, Kenny Cruz, Phillips Yadong, Askarov Benavidez, Kaikara France Bontarin, uh, and then Matthews and Sean Brady, and then that's it. But still, a handful, a chunk. Jan yeah. Sterling. There you go. Your boy Kai Kara France back from City Cuck Boxing in, the, in a key flyweight bout as well. Luke, all right, let's keep it going on the news bracket in the UFC. Uh, surprising, okay? Not surprising news that UFC would continue to trim its roster, given everything into account over the past year plus. But that two prime names on the same day would be let go. Former heavyweight champion Junior Dos Santos and legendary heavyweight in his own right, Alistair Overeem. Luke, I'm not sure if you caught Dana's response uh, yesterday when he was asked. He basically blew it off and said, look, you know, we cut people every day. This kind of stuff happens every day. But Luke, you don't tend to cut... Guys, this decorated, uh, you know, JDS has, a, has many consecutive TKO losses here, so I'm not going to act like, you know, he's got a ton left in the tank. But name value alone, I thought it was surprising to see both guys go like this. Do you look at this as cost-cutting only? No, certainly not. Uh, it is cost-cutting. Overeem was paid well, uh, and certainly JDS I don't think was cheap per se uh, relative to some of the other people on the roster. So... You know, they might sign two contender series folks and then cut these two, and folks are like, oh, this is UFC trying to cut costs. Yes, uh, to an extent, there probably is an element of that, especially as, you know, m measured against their more recent performances, JDS in particular. Uh, but no, I mean, listen, the UFC doesn't mind cutting someone in a way where they still might have a little bit of life left in them for some big fights, particularly if the competition goes down a peg. 
provided that the UFC already got basically the, the, the very best of them. That would be true in either case of Overeem and JDS. JDS might still win fights depending on where he goes, whether he ends up in Bellator or BKFC. Same for Overeem, who was very much a, a top-level competitor um, despite his last fight when he was axed. But it is hard to argue that they have a lot of time left as you know really bankable, winnable stars. And uh, it is also not true that you could you could make a claim that they're getting them you know with um, with this idea that they've got uh, that they were cut unfairly. I mean, there was a decline in performance in both. I mean, JDS on four consecutive stoppage losses, like. You just, at some point, it's like, dude, you can't really win at this level. Now, partly he suffers BC from the fact that he was a contender. And, by the way, it was also revealed that, because, uh, for example, like, you know, Don Cerrone's not even ranked anymore, but they still find ways to use him. They have less of right. that kind of tolerance for certain folks. But the but the point I'm trying to make here is um, they also cut JDS because BC, they asked him to fill in on short notice at the end of March against Marcin Tabora. He said no, and so they cut him. It's like, dude, you have a series of values to these guys, but cost is a function, you know, where you can headline is a function, what weight class is a function, and your willingness to just say yes is also partly in that. And JDS had just too many things ticked off. Pay probably was one of them, Overeem especially, but there's a combination of factors here. Uh, David Feldman of BKFC did go, uh, I forgot which source quoted this, Luke, I saw on Twitter today, though, that he plans to make offers to both of them. Uh, man, I don't, I don't, those guys are like royalty to me. I don't necessarily want to see them. Go bare knuckle, Luke. I still look at it. I mean, Paige hasn't done enough yet to change it from anything looking more than like a, I need money fast, so I'll go do this. Um, there seems to be more potential options for both heavyweights. Should they want to continue on and, and should one Bellator or PFL in particular want them? Now, I saw JDS put an Instagram out saying he's not done yet, Luke. Overeem's tweet announcing this, it, it kind of made it seem like he was retiring for good, like this was the end of the road, but... Uh, Luke, how about this scenario? Good old Scotty Cokes, right? Uncle Scott from Bellator, and we're not, you know, I'm just, I'm spitballing here. I'm just, I'm just saying, what if? Um, it's funny when we talk to him, Luke, about the announcement of this Bellator 205-pound tournament because they're making Romero Rumble first right now, almost to say it's a great matchup. We don't know who's going to win in this tournament. Let's just make it now. Let's have some control. And Luke, the great comparison is to the Strike Force Heavyweight Tournament where we never got Fedor Overeem, which is part of why that tournament was put together in in some ways. Could we get super duper washed Fedor against kind of washed Overeem now? In a Bellator tournament? Tournament, I don't know. I mean, they just did a heavyweight tournament uh, not too long ago. I don't think you could get that, but you might be able to get a super fight out of it. Yeah. But, I mean, at that point, what's the point? You know, like, Maybe get is your JDS interest really in that high in Fedor versus Overeem in 2021? No, no, no. I mean, but if they you know get I mean? paid... If they get paid more money than it's actually worth, it, it could probably happen. I don't know. Maybe they do another tournament. You never know. But we did see, what, Verdun went to PFL. I'm sure both guys will listen to offers from everybody. We'll see. But obviously both legends. And, you know, as they step down, Luke, from the super elite competition, uh, they have nothing but to uh, keep that chin up, Luke, okay? I mean, tuck, tuck the chin during the fights, but outside of it, keep that chin up. Yes. All right, Luke, a couple of bits of notes here before we hit dead wrong time. Uh, I am in Puerto Rico last night, Thursday night, NBC Sports Ring City USA series uh, came back. And Luke, it was a must-see main event, the best matchmaking we've seen up to this point. 
Unbeaten junior middleweight Sergei Boachuk of the Ukraine came in, Luke, 18-0 with 18 KOs against lovable journeyman gatekeeper Brandon Adams, who, Luke, I'm not sure he's lovable journeyman gatekeeper anymore. I don't know if you caught this, Luke, but here's the premise. Boachuk was winning. They had taken a point away from Adams. It was round 8 of 10, and we were just saying on the broadcast, you know, it might be time to do something dramatic. Check out this hook here, Luke. That is, I mean, that was a sledgehammer. He brought that from his waist and twisted all the way into it, man. Good and what's boy. great and is... The guy didn't he, see it, so he took the entire brunt of it. And he's not even known as a puncher, but this is now a couple stoppage wins in a row for Brandon Adams. We may remember, oh, mm. God, when he lost that uh, middleweight title opportunity against Jamal Charlo. Luke, he got shut out, but more or less, but he didn't take a lot of damage. Um, he should get a big opportunity from this, but you just love... A reminder what this was, Luke, about how boxing is great, right? And MMA certainly in that category, too, from this standpoint. Adams, we found out later, was down big on all three scorecards. He was complaining all fight about his footwork. The ring was slippery. He thought the referee was against him. And then you hit the walk-off Grand Slam home run like that. You know, that is that is the beauty of this game in combat sports where, uh, you know, everything was going to plan until that, until Poirier rallies back and Luke Thomas loses his shit orgasmically in front of a screen. So uh, nice, fun little business there in Puerto Rico. will be back two more times this month, Luke. Um, I'm in this quarantine jail for the for uh, only about another hour, Luke. We had a good run here, okay? I wish you nothing but safe travels and on your journeys home. All right, Luke, something to look out for in the boxing news. Mike Coppinger of The Athletic, who tends to be up on this stuff, had an interesting tweet about one Gervonta Davis. Luke Tank is fresh off, of course, the knockout of the year against Leo Santa Cruz, which, by the way, won a title at 130 pounds. According to Coppinger's sauces, we could see Tank move up two weight divisions to make his debut at 140, and Luke, he would be chasing the title of unbeaten Mario Barrios. Do you remember seeing him on the uh, undercard of Tank's last pay-per-view card down there in San Antonio? Luke, would this matchup move you? A little bit of a shocker from my point of view. If that was the dude who fought the other cowboy, right? Is that what? Yes. I think I got that one right. Um, Barrios is a, is a pressure fighter, all action. Yeah, I, I, I like it okay. Um to me, it's less of he's moving up two more than he's moving up one. Because to me, 130 was like he could do it, and he did do it. But I don't know if that's really where he is properly situated. To me, it's more 135. Um, so uh, 130, or excuse me, 140 here, 141, whatever. Um, I like that because it is, I think, a challenge for him. But I think this is a really well-managed challenge. So I'm not really going to buy into like, oh, he's moving up two. Eh, he's moving up one. But it is the appropriate move, I think, for a first fight at 140. Um, so, yeah, I like it. It doesn't, like, you know, wow me, but it's good. Well, Gervonta did have that one fight at 135 when he when he took that interim title, uh, the vacant interim title from a washed Uriokas Gamboa. So, uh, I mean, look, I'd love to see him fight everyone at 135. All these young stars we talk about, Luke, some of these matchups harder to make than others. But if this had to be what's next, I'd certainly be entertained on that. Luke, uh, there's a pay-per-view Friday night. That's tonight, and it's kind of falling under the radar, but there is some importance there. Clarissa Shields uh, is back. She's your uh, self-proclaimed quote, the greatest women of all time, unbeaten, pound-for-pound pound number one. She's back in a pay-per-view independently in Flint, Michigan. 
where the, the hook here historically, Luke, is that it's an all-female card. Shields will be fighting Marie-Yves Dicari at 154 pounds and all four titles will be at stake it's an undisputed championship bout and if luke if clarissa wins she would become the first fighter in boxing history to become the undisputed four belt champion in two weight divisions now after doing it at middleweight she also won a couple belts at 68. luke i don't want to be a buzz killer here okay because i i love shields and i've been following her from the beginning she could not find an American network for this fight, including Showtime, which carried her fights. Uh, the, the, no deal was done. So she's taking it on her own and putting it out there and going independently and taking a chance. Um, where do you stand in this? Besides saying, you know, tip of the cap, I award your hustle here. Uh, is this a bad idea commercially? Should people care? Will people care? What do you got? I mean, it's, I, I don't understand the claim that you are underserved as a commercial entity meaning that you have potential to be more but you don't it's not been actualized and then you're going out on your own um it's like do you have the popularity to make this work or not not like not like as a oh it's a reservoir that's not been fully utilized that that might be a true claim but like what what is your q rating now to me i don't know that it's high enough to go on your own uh, although certainly you're right i do respect the hustle that she has you know, I, her argument about tr trying to be taken more seriously and deserving more attention, I think, is an interesting one, in part because it's quite obviously a, there's a part of it that does seem very true, that there are just an inherent set of biases, whether the fans or promoters or whoever has them, that limits the ways in which she should be presented to the public. On the other hand, to the extent that she has been presented to the public, it has not necessarily been the most memorable. Like, if I had to ask folks... What is your favorite Clarissa Shields fight? You wouldn't be able to tell me. You could say, oh, well, she's better than all of her contemporaries. That appears to be quite true. But I remember she was making a claim about Canelo. She was like, Canelo didn't have a gold medal, and I've got, you know, and I've got one. Why am Canelo. I not held to a higher, um, you know, why am I not more of a celebrated figure? And it's like, are you going to tell me that the work that Canelo has done as a professional uh, or as a boxer generally is tantamount to the work that you've done? Because... I don't see those as equivalent tasks. I see one as significantly more difficult, and that would be obviously Canelo. And I think there's a sense that she doesn't quite have, that maybe she should, that like, I'm perfectly willing to buy BC that she's underserved, no doubt about it. But I'm also uh, willing to say that the work that's been turned in, even when it's been broadcast at a kind of, you know, a sort of a noteworthy way, has not necessarily always been especially memorable. And for those reasons... Um, you know, she should take a look in the mirror about what she can do to change the situation. Even if I grant, it must be frustrating to be this good and this underserved. And, and even being that great, Luke, she does, I think she's got one stoppage win in, in 10 fights because, you know, the two-minute rounds in women's boxing tends to hurt her since she's not a one-punch knockout puncher. So you're not necessarily even getting that dominant finishes for somebody who's so dominant against her competition but you know i certainly wish her a lot of luck i've always loved her willingness to fight anyone seemingly at any weight class to try to elevate the sport and herself but uh i hope they can get some eyes on it at the end of the day and uh you know she's going to mma at the same time uh you know what she signed with pfl for a reason luke you know because she's chasing bigger dollars but uh, she's going to stay busy. This will be an independent pay-per-view. Uh, a good friend of mine, Dan Canobio of CompuBox fame, is going to be hosting uh, the studio work uh, leading into the broadcast. His partner, Luke Holly Holm, former uh, UFC and multi-time women's boxing champion. So Holly's going to get a little workout on this broadcast 
Uh, we'll see what happens. Luke, uh, I got two other small bits that I want to hit you with before we hit into the dead wrong. Um, you know how sometimes we debate on this show whether Habib will ever fight again, and then it ends with us getting angry, and then we laugh a lot, and then sometimes we make fun of Dana, and then our own minds, we make a four-minute video that we never end up posting, but just to kind of counter back at what, how the shots he takes at the media, right? Yeah. Well, they asked Dana White, the UFC president, yesterday <laughs> about all those comments Habib keeps making. You know all those comments, Luke, where he says that he'll never fight again and that he's retired and that he has no interest whatsoever and that he wants... To, yeah, okay. Here's the quote from Dana to the media in Las Vegas yesterday. We're going to have dinner on Saturday or Sunday. I think we have to let some of the fights in the division play out. And if Habib is interested, he'll take the fight. You don't hear Habib saying, leave me alone or anything like that. End quote. I'm pretty sure you've heard him say that. <laughs> Look, you've he said, heard him I say, will just, not strip you've definitely heard him say. You've definitely heard him say, BC, just leave it alone. I've definitely heard him say that. Um, yeah, it, I mean, first of all, Dana, are you watching the transcribed versions of the Habib interviews where he's um, in Russian actually saying all this? Or, um, Luke, would you respect Dana more at this point if he just said, hey, guys, we want to make Connor versus Habib two more than anything in the world, so we're going to hold off to give Connor another chance to win? Would you respect that more? Full-on transparency, Luke. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes, I would respect right. that more. I'd respect it more if he was just like, look, here's what we're trying to do. We're trying to make this fight. We think the fight. I mean, because you could, listen, it's not, it's not the craziest argument to make. I mean, I don't know how good of an argument it is, but I mean, there's something coherent about being like, listen, guys, if this guy gets another win and we put this fight together, this is something that the fans would remember forever, which is probably true. It's probably true. Now, that creates a series of other complicating factors involved, but which you then would have to answer for, which I don't think that they want to do. But it's not, you know, you're a promoter. You're going to do things that are going to be a little bit outside the norm sometimes for promotional gain. I don't think that's a scandal. It's just when you dress it up. Like, this is what I say about Dana White all the time now, man. People are like, oh, well, Dana said something. Dude, Dana says lots of shit, you know. And you can't dismiss it because he holds a very, very important position in the sport. But you cannot accept anything. Literally, you cannot accept anything he says at face value. It all needs to be fact-checked. And some of it, of course, will be correct and some of it won't because that's the job of a promoter is just to say shit that can move the needle in certain ways or um, uh, deflect from criticism or whatever it needs to be. But this idea like, oh, well, he hasn't said no. I mean, anybody who is doing a faithful reading or listening to Habib does not come to the conclusion that he is you know, laboring over this decision very much, BC. He's kind of made it maybe you could rescue a different version of it, but I don't think I that's mean, possible. Dana just must be thinking, Luke, shamelessly, that once I make this fight, everyone's going to shut up and everyone's going to be happy and everyone's going to love that we did it. And, you know, that'll just cover everything. But this is this is getting pathetic and shameless level here, Luke. Like, you're like, no, I don't, I don't think there's a reason to strip this guy yet. Let's just keep letting the division keep playing out. Uh, what are we waiting for here? This but I mean, but wild. also, you know, but also it's like, what's the cost to being wrong? You know, Dana's done this before. Like, oh, Jeremy Stevens is fighting tonight. Yo, Jeremy Stevens did not fight that night. That did not happen, you know. Or, you know, you can name any number of a thousand of these situations that he's done. Anyone who is paying attention knows you cannot take Dana's word at face value. Anybody. Anybody who is being rational about this knows that what he says is not gospel. Could be true. Could be false. But it has to be double-checked. Um, 
And so whenever he says something like this, and then the media coverage from that is quotes, quotes from Habib is like totally the opposite. Again, stranger things have happened, BC, but I will believe it when Habib says it. And until then, Habib is done. (laughs) I will believe it if Connor knocks out Poirier in the trilogy. Yes. Uh, Luke, final bit of news before dead wrong time. Um, following in the footsteps of one uh, Paige Van Zandt is South Florida's own Valerie Lareda. Yes, the Bellator rise and shining phenom who you once asked what the inside of her DMs look like. So yep. socially conscious of you. And, and uh, yes, uh, Luke, she's launching lovelareda.com. I believe what it's called is essentially her own OnlyFans that she will control. Um, will you be a card-carrying member, Luke? I uh, will not, but this is the same company behind Paige Van Zant. So I guess you can see what their business mo- <laughs> what their business model is. All right, behind the scenes, photo shoots are promised and probably things you're already getting right now on Instagram. But look, I'm not here to judge anyone. I mean, I make dong jokes into a camera for a living, okay? All right? Who am I? Yes. Who, who the hell am I, right? All right, Luke, it's time to do that favorite segment of yours when we, uh, we own up. We take the L, we eat the shit sandwich on things we have said and done wrong incorrectly. The people have hit us up at morningcombat at gmail.com this week with their corrections. This one's called Dead Wrong. All right, Luke, I am in the crosshairs on this one. BC, you were dead wrong during a dead wrong segment last week when talking about Blagoy Ivanov on episode 123. You referred to Blagoy Ivanov as a, quote, Russian journeyman heavyweight, when he is, in fact, a Bulgarian journeyman heavyweight. Similar name structure, but completely separate nations. Yes. I, I'll take that out, Luke. So shout out to Blagoy. I don't, I don't understand. I, I got to tell you, they're... they're if someone's last name is like Torres, you'd be like, oh, they're, you know, they're from Europe. You'd be like, oh, they're probably from Spain, right? Or their last name is, you know, I don't know, uh, Sarkozy. He's going to be in jail, the free, previous president. <laughs> the last name is Smith. You know, you have a chance of getting it right. If your last name is Schwarzenegger, you know, you, you, know, you can usually pin the tail on the donkey there a little bit. But then you get, start getting into like Bulgaria, Albania. And then parts of Russia, and then like some of the old Soviet satellite states. Dude, the names, it's hard to know where they're coming from sometimes. Yeah, well, shout out to all you Bulgarians out there. Big fan of uh, Haristo Stoichkov. Remember that, Luke, when that 94 Bulgarian World Cup team had a near Cinderella run to the title? No. All right. Hey, Luke, you're, you're, it's on you this time. Uh, you have trained these people well. Luke, at episode 123, at 25 minutes and 25 seconds, when Luke was talking about the first UFC fight night card in Brooklyn to kick off the UFC on ESPN era, Cerrone Henderson said Luke was the, ma- was the co-main event on this night. It was actually the main event of the ESPN prelims. It didn't feature on the main card of ESPN+. Plus. Luke, Hardy Crowder was the co-main, not Cerrone Henderson. Greg Hardy, if you remember, the ESPN execs kind of, you know, pushed down Dana and said, make this man the co-main. You taking that L? I will take that L. I did not, yes, I did not realize, I forgot where that was in the pecking order. So, yeah, I got that wrong. All right. Well, next on the pecker order, Luke, on Monday's episode of MK Big Casual Campbell, 
said that Dana crapped all over Derek Lewis after the Ngannou fight, but it was actually Ngannou that Dana was throwing under the bus for being so timid and not taking advantage of an opponent with an injured back, as Lewis disclosed he had after the fact. I'm sure BC just misspoke, though. Someone who eats bagged eggs and Arby's is bound to have some brain damage. Wow. Love you guys. LOL. Dude, I think I just took a second L. Yes, Luke, I said the wrong name of that shitty fight. I know the real story. I say a lot of shit like Dana, Luke, okay? Good Lord, they just took you to the depths of Hades. <laughs> uh, from Hades to the Ides of March, Luke, at the top of Monday's show, Luke said the Ides of March are upon us. The Ides of March is the 15th, a.k.a. my birthday, also the day Julius Caesar was assassinated. Mikey, you got to start telling us who is writing these things. I don't know who wrote that, Luke, but are you going you gonna to take that out? Uh, I don't know, since I said they were upon us, not... Oh, yeah, sure. Yes, fine. Ides of March. Yeah. I mean, you, you were a fortnight of off, Luke, okay? Yeah, or yeah. you're going to get stabbed like, going to get stabbed up like Mr. Caesar did. All right, we got one more for you, talking about TJ Dillashaw's tattoos on Wednesday's episode. They have the timestamp here as well. Luke claimed that all of TJ Dillashaw's tattoos were done by celebrity tattoo artist Bang Bang. But TJ's tattoos were actually all done by Oscar Akimo, who works at Bang Bang's tattoo shop in NYC. Luke is not dead wrong about the incredible quality of ink, but he is dead wrong about who did them. I posted a link below with proof. Do we have that link, anyone here that works on the show? No? All right. Who cares, right? <laughs> Uh, yes, I'll take the L. That's interesting. I, I legitimately did not know that. I did not know that. I could have sworn it was Bang Bang, but uh, close but no cigar, BC. Close, but no cigar. All right, Luke, I'm petering out just a bit. But, yeah, dude, uh, you are. Uh, I got to tell you, your, your energy level today, not high. Are you struggling there, buddy? I think I left it all on the dock, Luke. You know, I'm on Atlantic Coast time, so uh, we didn't get home till very late last night. Luke, here's a cool thing that happened. So last night's Ring hey, City I really card. enjoyed. Yeah, I got to say, I really enjoyed seeing you on camera all those times yesterday. Yeah, so we had some technical difficulties there, including uh, somebody blocking the, the, the driveway to get out of the uh, parking area after the show as we all waited there for another hour. But, Luke, I will tell you this, that uh, the, there was a cool setup. So it was in front of a very famous gym, almost like Freddie Roach's wildcard gym, but in Puerto Rico, uh, uh, Pintor Pagan, Felix uh, Pagan Pintor, excuse me, who had trained, you know, everybody. And uh, on top of a fountain, Luke, they put the ring, and then... It's in a neighborhood, and they cornered it off. One of the fighters on the undercard, his family rented the house overlooking the fountain where the ring was, and they had a party with hundreds of people standing on top of roofs. Look, it was like Wrigley Field. It was fantastic. That's cool. Are you glad to be leaving Puerto Rico? You didn't really chance to sightsee, did you? No, I have gotten zero chance to sightsee. I went out for breakfast this morning, though, Luke. They serve mashed potatoes with pancakes. You know that? You okay with that? Uh, are you sure there were mashed potatoes? <laughs> Did I get the gringo special, Luke? Did I get, uh, yeah. All right. Hola, gringuito. Come, come mucho. Uh, Are you all right? All right, I got to jump on a plane here, Luke. Um, We can't wait for UFC 259, so check out our coverage, which includes uh, setting the stage on CBS Sports HQ tomorrow. I will be on afterwards as well. And Luke... Tell the people when, exactly when, they can catch a morning combat post-show live on Saturday. 
So the main event between Adesanya and Blahovich will end, however it ends. They will interview the winner, and then they will interview the loser. Once that is over, boom, we go live. So within minutes of the finale, we go live right here, youtube.com slash morning combat. Don't be anywhere else. Post-fight coverage for you guys live. Yes. Yes, there's our social channels where you can hit us up at for more. Morningcombat at gmail.com is your home for all things fan submissions, dead wrongs. You got beefs with Luke. The heck, I'll read them on the air. You think I care about that guy? Uh, hopefully you checked out our Morning Combat documentary 2.0, The Redemption, out right now on YouTube. The uh, inside of all things Poirier McGregor 2 weekend. You're not going to want to miss that. we got some great interviews and bonus content. Luke's live chat also. Uh, like and subscribe this video. And continue patronizing our friends at Showtime.com. 30-day free trial is in front of you. Guys, you're going to want to grab this, plus the introductory deal for new subscribers. Six months, $4.95 a month, getting you all the boxing, Bellator MMA tournaments coming up. You're going to want to get involved now ahead of that April 2nd. Uh, big big card, Luke. April 2nd, uh, uh, what's this guy? Pitbull against Emmanuel Sanchez, the rematch. To, that's going to kick off the Bellator on Showtime era at Mohegan Sun. Uh, can't wait for that one, definitely. Uh, please wear our merch as well. A lot of, lot, lot of crap to spit out here. Uh, store.show.com. You can put on uh, all. You can put us all over your body. Luke, what do you got? Uh, good news. Aljamain Sterling makes 134 and a half. Amanda Nunes, 145. So we're on our way. Jesus, you are dying on the vine, guy. Do you got, what, what's wrong with you? You got that Dengue AIDS? What do you got? Dengue AIDS? <laughs> what's wrong with you? <laughs> are you going to be able to close the show here, fuckface? <laughs> May all your gains be loyal. Yeah. <laughs> are you going to close uh, the show? What are you doing? No, what, I'm you done. You want me to close that's it? it? That's it. I'm done, right. Luke. You think I care about the all rest right. of the show? I'm done. All right. All right. All right. Let me close it real quick. Showtime.com, 30-day free trial. If you like it, you can keep it. If not, you can pound sand. Send all of your dead wrongs and all of your submissions. Morningcombat at gmail.com. Merch, of course, is at store.show.com. BC is traveling back. You can catch him, as he indicated, tomorrow on CBS Sports HQ. I will be joining you as soon as the main event is over right back here, youtube.com slash morningcombat live. All right? For BC, who's got dengue fever and AIDS, apparently. I, I don't know. Uh, I'm Luke Thomas. Thanks to Malka, Showtime, and everyone who watched all of our stuff this week. Until next time, may all of your gains be loyal. <laughs>